Welcome to the RSP cast. We got another edition of Scout Talk with Russ Landy. Russ, welcome back. Thanks, my friend. As always, every two weeks, this is the day I look forward to. So it's very exciting getting to get on here and break down football and talk about it from, I think, the two most different backgrounds that there are hosting a podcast in America. Right, exactly. And, you know, I've got a little bit of news before we get started, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to lead into this because, first of all, you know, just some RSP house cleaning stuff. Most of you know I don't promote too actively on my podcast, but listen, you know, first of all, the three-year rankings that I um, put out for the past three rookie classes. The final edition of that for the year for 2020 subscribers is up on mattwaldmanrsp.com. There's a password that's from the newsletter so that you can access that. It's on PDF or Excel format, so you can check that out. And I announced today that the 2021 rookie scouting portfolio pre-draft and post-draft package is available for a pre-order um, so that you can order your, you know, you can order it now. And then when it's available for download, you can download it on April 1st. Um, and it comes at a discount of 1995 until December 28th. And I have a new product that I have launched um, today, today, which is a complete dynasty rankings and two-year projections package for fantasy players so as you guys who know me i've been a fantasy writer since 2003 and so i've had a lot of requests from people who look at those three-year projections and say could you do complete dynasty rankings you know and so i have the opportunity to be able to do that so it'll be every player who's you know who has a shot of making a roster I'll be doing rankings of them as well as two-year projections during that year, and they will come out several times during the year. You'll be, you'll be put on a newsletter where I'll let you know where you can download those, and so you'll get your first ones in June, and then you'll get them from August through December, and then once in either February or March after the free agency period of that following year. Um, so that'll keep you up to date. So if you're a fantasy guy, that's available for $24.95. Um, and if you're if you're just looking for the straight draft stuff, then you can get the RSP package that I normally do with the book. The first one, the the twenty four ninety five one, the the rankings package. I'm not going to go into great detail into the how and why of these players. I'm just giving you the straight answers. Um, so you're paying for that if that's what you want. Um, if you want the high wow, you know the how, why, what, who, and all of this, all of the detail then you know where to go with that. And that's and so that's what I'll be doing there. And if this goes well, and it's something that I think people like, then I'll probably do a bundled package um, with it in the future so that you can get a bundled discount with it. Um, but with that said, as I'm, you know, I've been promoting that, you know, I'll be promoting that throughout the, um, you know, draft season. And, and, you know, I certainly appreciate the early feedback already and, and the sales that we've gotten so far. It's been a really great first day. It would, you know, Russ brought up an idea, and I think it's perfectly apropos that now that I'm selling all this and telling all this, that we should talk about all the fuck-ups that we've had doing this. <laughs> and, you know, for the years that we have. So we're going to start with the one, the one position that I often hear from the trolls on Twitter when I, when I advertise the RSP, and we should just call this the Hakeem Bustler. Um, <laughs> uh, um, 
edition or the Dante Pettis edition of what we messed up as we've learned about evaluating wide receivers. And we're going to do this as a series and talk about a different about different positions, but we're starting with receivers today. Um, so Russ, you know, great idea. I love it, you know, and it's going to give us a chance to talk about, you know, where we messed up, who we messed up on, what we've learned. You know, you know, firstly, I want to tell anybody that they've heard the little pitch about the stuff you're going to, the fantasy stuff or the draft stuff. The one thing you won't get in that stuff is any sort of jibber-jabber. Matt's going to cut to the chase. He's going to give you the real deal. So that's one thing you can be assured of in his stuff. There is no one better. What he's going to tell you, what he's telling you about the players, there's no one that's not working for a team that can give you the insight that Matt does. No one grinds the film that like Matt does and has the background he does. But, you know, to me, the receiver position, I've always felt it's so difficult because there's one or two elite guys every year in general, sometimes none, sometimes one. Then there's about 100 where the difference often is minimal. And then there's the complete rejects. And figuring out from that 60 or 80 or 100 that get drafted in the middle, whatever that number is, it's usually, I think, about 40 or 50, and then there's 40 or 50 signed as free agents, which 10 are going to become long-term starting re- receivers. Oh my gosh, is it hard? I mean, yeah. who would have thought when Keenan Allen came out? A given. I'm, I'm not trying to pub us, but we gave him a top ten grade in the whole draft. But a guy that was coming off a blown out knee and ran a four seven three at his workout would be the fastest guy to ever catch six hundred balls, yeah. a perennial Pro Bowler, and a legit number one receiver in the NFL, who was probably the tenth or twelfth receiver drafted that. It's 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 a, it's insane how that works, and I love how you brought that up and really categorize the types of players because as we t- often talk about, wide receiver has the greatest variation of draft draft grades among scouts in the NFL because of the types of offenses they run. And Keenan Allen's a perfect example of a player who, now that we spread and they spread the field and you have these slot outside hybrid type of players, Michael Thomas, another example, Juju Smith-Schuster, who 10 years ago, Juju Smith-Schuster would have been seen as a guy, an outside player who wasn't quite fast enough to be able to do the gig. And, and there were still concerns about that before he came in because of the way football's transitioning. So you, the difficulty is part of it is understanding the trends of what's going on with teams understanding how much value that player might be able to have, but at the same time looking at the league and going, well, how many teams actually are going to be using this type of style? And is he going to get drafted by that team? That we no idea, you know? So that's just the surface level of it. I mean, when I think about it, Russ, just to begin, I mean, like I started in 2006 and I started looking back at like specific players and before we even talk about him, I can just tell you until about 2011, I didn't know what the hell I was doing watching wide receivers. I mean, like I look back and I'm like, basically it was, were they tall? Could they go up and catch versus contact? Could they run after the catch? Did they seem to be okay with physical play? Did they make have really great body control? Were they quick? And I look, and I feel like, and I'm kind of exaggerating, but that was about it, you know, compared to what I look at now. Oh, there's no question. I mean, there are so many things when I go back and look at the stuff that I did when I was first getting in the league, and even when I was with the Rams, 
it was like an eye opener just to hear the coaches talk about, hey, this guy's got to be able to do these certain things in our offense or to hear him talk about, hey, depending on their size, we're going to be more lenient with certain skills. And it never occurred to me. When I first started doing this, I graded every receiver the same, regardless of if they were 6'5 or 5'8. Yeah. Because I just thought, well, you have to be able to run routes, catch the ball, and you got to be fast. And over years, I've learned so much about, hey, every player you have to look at not only adjusting for his size to make sure where they fit, but you have to adjust them where they're playing. If they're strictly outside guys, or are they guys that are both, or are they strictly inside guys, all of those different things play such a factor in correctly evaluating a player. It's it's dramatic, the difference. And if you try to just lump them as, we're going to look at receivers all the same without differentiating the skills that are needed for each spot, I think you have so little chance of being consistently successful. Yeah, one player that comes to mind right off the bat for me is in 2008, Earl Bennett. Because I remember watching Jay Cutler, liking Jay Cutler, and seeing Earl Bennett make all of these ridiculous catches, and I really didn't understand the difference between what a flanker is supposed to do, what a slot receiver is supposed to do, what a split end is supposed to do, and how often teams really rely on a slot receiver um, in the NFL at that time in 2008. Not very much, you know? So it's like, yeah, I may see a player who I could think maybe does what Heinz Ward does to an extent. But how many teams had a had that kind of situation set up, and and also understanding just you know that just because he could make big plays, lots of guys can do that, and that was like that was one of the biggest lessons for me early on was to look at that and go, okay, he he's tough and he does all those things that I really enjoyed from players that I modeled that I really admired and understood were good, but I didn't understand the nuances of the position and another player that I'll add from that class where I just overestimated their athletic ability and underestimated their technical skills was Devin Thomas, the Michigan state receiver um, who went to Washington. And, you know, those were players who one, one had some good technique and toughness. One had great athletic ability. Neither of them had enough for what you're looking for or they didn't they fit a position profile that didn't fit what the league was looking for. You know what and it's and it's great you mentioned Devin Thomas because that sort of goes into one of the last things not so much what I'm looking for in a rece- starting receiver but what he did is so rare in football because this is a guy who was a second round pick people were expecting great things from and he pretty much bombed as a receiver. But during his time in the league initially I think either he knew or he was concerned that he might not make it. And he really developed as a special teams player. Yeah. And he became an elite teams guy to where when he walked away, he had three or four offers on the table to continue his career as that sixth or seventh receiver and top special teams receiver on a team. And that's something that is really hard to find. And I know I'm sort of getting towards the bat, the back end of our discussion in terms of this, but when you look at receivers, it's not only about the guys that can come in, and obviously you want to find the Keenan Allens, the Juju Schuster-Smith who can start and be impact guys, but the last receiver or two on your roster that are not returners have to help on game day on special teams. Yeah. And a guy like Devin Thomas, because he's a bigger body, he's tough, and he was willing to, which most primary receivers in college, to me, have not shown a willingness to become the muck and grind, do the dirty work guys on teams, that's something that's hard to identify 
because a lot of these guys never did it in college because they were so big time as a player, they were never asked to. So Devin Thomas is a great example because I really thought he was going to be a productive receiver and a returner, and he ended up being a marginal receiver, a probably an adequate backup returner, but a frontline coverage guy and special teams player. Yeah, and it's funny because you look at that and you start look when you start to learn lessons like that, Russ. It's like, especially someone who was like starting from scratch in two thousand five, two thousand six. As I started developing, then you start to overcompensate for things because yes. like that's like the next that's the next stage of like awareness is like oh well I need to learn about technique I need to learn about route running I need to learn I need technically savvy guys so then you start to reinforce that because you go I like Hakeem Nix over Kenny Brett because Hakeem Nix had technically sound hands he knew how to use his hands he knew how to earn position you know or a guy like Austin Collie who you know who could really run great routes and understood zone concepts and had terrific hands himself and so then you're like start to feel a little bit emboldened and and at the same time you start to downgrade guys who are athletic who do a limited number of things but they do them so well that you that you have to look at that and go okay maybe i need to like pay more attention to mike wallace you know like a guy like mike wallace who like yes he said at the senior bowl i just started learning about the wide receiver position in the senior bowl, you know, like I learned more this week than I did at Ole Miss, you know, and yep, there's you know, no doubt, you know, but then you still have to look at that and go, well, where does he win? How does that fit? And that's a guy I completely whiffed on in terms of like, just overlooked him and thought the guy I did too. Yeah. He was a guy. I just couldn't figure him out. Yeah. No matter what I did watching the film, I kept trying to say, where is his home in the NFL? And it's like, and when you watch him, it's like, and and it's one of those things. That's why I like to take my time before I'm like, like I brought up Hakeem Butler and Dante Pettis and neither guy I'm going to bring up today in detail because both of those guys, I still think on some level might give you a chance to develop. And it's not just because it's also because it's only been two years for Pettis. This is year three you know, this is year three for Pettis and this is year two for Butler. And while the situations look dire for them and the odds are probably stacked against them on some, on some level, I like to have a process to give some time because you don't want to overreact or underreact one way. And, and as a result, because when that happens, you can sit there and go, Oh, I was right on Marcus Mariota. I was right on, you know, I, I was right on him. He's going to be fantastic, you know, and then the bottom falls out. I'm going to be right about Carson Wentz. You know, I'm going to, I was, you know, these things are working out. Yep. He looks great. Oh, I was wrong about Jared Goff. He looks fantastic year two, you know, or, you know, any of those types of things. Or Ryan Tannehill, where you could be a, you could get seasick yeah. probably from, you know, no his, his, his career. So it's one of those situations that, you know, you start overcompensating and, Wallace to me, I mean, the first year I'm looking at him going, he's, well, he's catching passes like an outfielder just waiting behind the coverage because he's so fast and Roethlisberger's so good at buying time. How good is he really? But then you start to see him in Minnesota and you start to see his career and you realize, okay, he has speed. He can track the ball. He tracks the ball really well. He has skill after the catch. He can take some contact. He doesn't have great technique. But he, but he has focus, and while he'll drop some balls 
it's he's he wins enough that you can live with that and then you start to realize okay this is what teams are thinking and they're winning with him so how do you you kind of reconcile that and go okay i have to learn to weight things at a certain level and understand that certain things have more weight value than others and that I have to look at it and look at this player and maybe the grade isn't superbly high, but what it can't, but what, what I can look at is say, I have to start piecing things together and going, okay, this is a split end. So what the split ends has to do is different from a flanker. If I, we're asking Mike Wallace to play flanker or slot, you're screwed. But if you like, you pick him as a split end and you look at the, the things that make split ends successful he may not be your primary 100 catch guy, but you can, if with certain types of talent around him to compensate, he can be your 60 catch or 55 catch, 800, 900 yard, yep. 10 TD guy, and you're doing great. Yep. And you don't have to have, and it's going to be impossible to have a team of all number ones. Right. You have to find pieces that fit. I mean, I know when I first got into this, I kept looking for. I wanted to find like basically the big, fast, dominant guy every time I looked. And all of a sudden it took me a while to realize, hey, wait a second, there's like two of those in the league. Yeah. There I mean, there might be I mean, when people talk about truly special receivers, what are there? Six or eight in the whole NFL? So when people start saying, Oh, this kid's not a number one, it's like, well, let's take a deep breath and let's remember that there are a lot of teams winning who yes. may not really have a number one. Yeah. I mean, when I look at Pittsburgh. Is there truly a guy I'm going to say this is a Julio Jones type dominant rare guy? I don't know. But you know what? They have a whole lot of guys that are that next tier right below them, and they can line them up. They've done such a good job of scouting over the years with receivers. They have such depth, and they all know what they're doing. I mean, it, it's truly amazing how certain teams are able to analyze exactly what they need by position at receiver, which one's going to line up where and what skills they need. I know for me, one of the things I did not put a lot of value on when I first started, and it's hard to know as out as when we're not going to the schools and stuff, but it's the intelligence. Because it's not like it was 25 years ago. When receivers 25 years ago would line up outside, they basically just had to look at, are we in zone or in man? And I'm running one of two routes. Now there are times where a receiver lines up outside, and it's not just zone or man. It's If it's zone, who's the closest defender? Who's the second closest? And they sometimes have it, have options of six to eight different routes. So if you're getting out there and you're not, and I'm not talking book smart, I'm talking football, instinctive, instantaneous, read the D, make the adjustment, and not only read it, you have to read it the same way the quarterback does. Yeah. Because if you read it differently, it doesn't matter how perfect you read it, he ain't reading it that way and the ball's going somewhere else. So the football intelligence and the ability to process quickly is something I often overlook. Now, can guys get away with it? Yes, there are definitely some guys. Now, I'm not going to name the names of the, the receivers because it's not fair. There are some receivers that I know in the past that I've been told are literally dumber than a piece of cement. But the scheme they built, at the, the, the way the team did it was they made it so that he could function within what they did. But in general, when I evaluate receivers, if I struggle with the kids mental and see mental mistakes, and when I talk to people, I hear that learning on the field, ability to adjust is a major problem. I have a hard time projecting that person to be a starting receiver in the NFL 
because it's such a complex position now. It's not like it used to be. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it's I can remember a player that we both talked about, and I was higher on than you were, who I I learned the definition of that he's a rep player, that he's he's a practice rep player. What yeah. that meant is that this guy was, you know, you know, unbelievable. Probably, you know, you'll know who I'm talking about when I mentioned him. Just mentioned that he was the, probably the best open field runner I have ever seen um, at the wide receiver position. Um, and he seems like a smart enough guy. He just can't seem to grasp the complexities of what you're talking about. And that's a different thing. That's just a hard thing performance wise. And, you know, great kick returner, great return specialist. And, you know, he's playing on Chicago right now, you know, it's Cordero Patterson, you know, and, you know, but he's a rep player. He's a guy that you have to say, this is the game plan for this week. These are the things that we're going to ask you to do. Let's practice them. And if you give him that, he will perform well. If you give him things that are within his bailiwick wick of what he processes well, he can be really good in that range too. But ask him to make all those complex reads, that's just something that's hard for him. It's And, and hey, listen, you can be really smart and that can be a tough thing to do. It's yep. just, you know, so... He's a and, part of it's spatial awareness. Part of it's yeah. there are certain guys that are brilliant. Like when I sit with Brandon Whedon and you talk football, he understands it. But I think when he gets in the game, he doesn't have that spatial feel when he looks at things. So it's yeah. not so much really intelligence. It's how does your brain process certain things? Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly it. Cause you'd watch Whedon and it's like, you knew it was like, what? I love how you mentioned that because I never knew that about him. And when I'd watch him, I go, he looks like a guy who knows all the answers to the math test, but like he doesn't realize that the teacher's about to smack him upside with the ruler because you know he he turn he'll turn to that backside, know something's supposed to be there, but can't gauge the distance of the defender sitting on the you know sitting on the route, you know. Yeah, because he he was really smart. I remember interviewing him at the Senior Bowl, and I mean, first a great kid everything you want as a character and he's talking football and schemes and what they did. And I'm thinking he's got it all mentally, but certain guys, like I said, it's really awareness and how your brain processes the visual. And I think for some players, whether it's receiver quarterback, it's a big issue. And I can tell you, I worked, I was lucky enough at CBS sports to work with a former NFL head coach. And he told me, he said, you know, we had a player on my team. He said, we kept them around for two or three extra years. It was a receiver because he was really close with another receiver who was our star. And he said when they would break the huddle, they would walk together. And at the last second, he would just tell them what route to run. Wow. Because that receiver couldn't figure it out. And he said when we would sit in meetings, that receiver knew everything. When we watched film after, no problem. But when he was in a game and he had to look at it from the angle as opposed to straight ahead, you have to sort of peer straight ahead and look inside and figure it out. He just couldn't process it to understand the coverage. Yeah. So literally this receiver, they both walk out to the same side and he'd tell him at the last second, nine. And he knew I had to run a nine round and it worked. And the guy literally, I want to say caught five or 600 balls in his career and was very productive. It just tells you that it's something that's so hard to gauge and, and, and also hard to gauge which ones don't have it, but can function because they're so gifted that if you just give them, a scheme that works around that deficiency, how blessed they are physically 
and competitive-wise and instinctively that they can overcome that one handicap. Yeah, and it's funny because on the opposite end of that spectrum, and it's probably the most stubborn error that I've had like uh, as I've evolved through this is is because of I started with like the whole athletic spectrum and then said, okay, I've got to learn about all these things. Then I started really, it's like, I felt like I'm joking that like you feel like the New England Patriots, all they do is pick slot receivers, you know? And it's like, I felt like the New England Patriots of like of media scouting because like I love guys like Austin Collie, Cecil Shorts, um, you know, Austin Pettis, um, who was another guy, Vincent Brown. Vincent Brown is a perfect example of a player who wasn't fast and his quickness was really good before his injury. But like, I'm like pushing the envelope of like, he could run routes, he could catch the ball, he was tough. With Phillip Rivers, he had some moments. But like, you you re- you start to realize that one, you're, you're, you're fixating on players who were not a big, who were like kind of ahead of their time now when you're looking at what this, what everything looks like. But because they were performing well in college, you're not thinking about what the NFL is asking for. So I kept looking at talent, 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 and not looking at fit, like and understanding yep. that he didn't fit, like and 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 his chances of fitting were so small. And then any with those, and as I, that was happening, I was learning about compensatory factors. Like to me, that's what I call it. Is like if a player is short, if he if he's short, then he better be have great leaping ability or he better be extraordinarily quick. If he's, you know, if he's tall and he's a little slower, he better have some decent acceleration and he better be able to have a great catch radius and toughness and run good routes and like understand zone routes or understand enough different things that he can be at least enough, have enough scheme versatility that he can function. Like you've got to, you know, like Steve Smith, you look at Steve Smith and you say, okay, Steve Smith is the extreme example of a player with a ton of compensatory factors because he's basically Calvin Johnson compressed. Yes, you exactly. Know, you know, yep. so you kind of have to visualize that. So I'd start, you start thinking, well, does Vincent Brown have enough compensatory factors to be an NFL starter? Not a star, just a starter, yep. you know, but like those are mistakes you start making. And so, that was another one that I start looking at because I'd go through that and go, okay, Randall Cobb, yeah, you know this guy could be good, but like Vincent Brown, could he be good because uh, of these things? And you start to realize that the risks become higher, like the margin for error is much narrower. So yep. when you start saying touting guys because you've graded them highly, you you started grading them too high on on the wrong factor which is he doesn't fit and there are too many ifs in his game well and and i will say especially for receivers when you get down under that five nine number the 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 the, you have to be so special in so many areas and trust me i'm not saying you eliminate guys no but when you get down in that five eight and that five seven and a half range there are the list of guys that were great college players. Jeremy Gallon. That's one I love. Perfect example. Yeah. I loved Gallon. I tried to get him in the, into Montreal. Perfect player. And you look at him, and there's so many things he does well. But was he rare? Because when you yeah. get short, you got to be rare. And I remember a perfect example when Stefan Diggs came out early for the draft. And I did a lot of radio, and people were saying, well, he came out early. Where do you expect him to go? I said, you know, I love Diggs as a player. 
But I said, just based on history and, and unfortunately, analytics of Diggs is 5'9", and I believe he ran a 4'6'2", I said, those two numbers alone assure that he's not going before the fourth round. Yeah. Because the history in the NFL says 5'9", 4'6", your odds of making it are so low that even though Diggs ran unbelievable routes, had rare, in my area, short area quickness, and great ball skills, those two numbers, the height and weight, or the height and the speed, made it just, hey, the odds are low. And and I will say, it's funny, one of the other things that you get into with um, sort of compensatory factors, and especially smaller guys having to be special, when I first got in this business, I always heard people talk about route running and how important that is for receivers. And it was until later when I sat down with our receiver coach and he really talked about it. He said, yes, route running is great. And that's all well and good. He said, but I will give away some route running for route integrity. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I don't care how great your route is. If I know what's coming, it doesn't matter if you run the greatest route ever. He said, the ability to disguise a route and not give up what you're running until you put a foot in the ground to make your cut. He goes, that is more important than the precision of the route. Because he said, there are some great route runners, but they give away their route because of where they look with their eyes or what shoulder they drop. He said, whereas when you watch a guy, and we talked, I don't even remember what player it was, but I'm going to substitute a guy like Keenan Allen in there. Yeah. When you watch Keenan run his route, you don't know the route or Stefan Diggs until the moment he hits that foot in the ground and breaks. That ability is so rare that it makes up for some of the other things. That, to me, is one of the key factors when I look at receivers is if I'm watching on film and I can start identifying the route two steps in, then, oh, golly, they're in trouble. Because right. corners and defensive coordinators, I don't care if you run a 4-1 and you have a 3.0 short shuttle. If they know <laughs> what's coming, they are going to read it, and they're going to make a play. Just like if you have a pitcher with those 150 miles an hour, if all you can do is throw a straight fastball, major league teams will knock that ball out of the stadium every pitch you throw. And that, to me, was one of the things I had to learn about the route running is it's great the guys who can put a foot in the ground and get out and get separation. But if you give away your route in college, in the NFL, when you give it away, they're going to be right on your hit making a play on the ball over and over and over and over. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And it's funny because then you start looking at players, and I don't know. I think another point is also making sure that you're watching multiple years of tape. I mean, I know that applies to everybody, but for wide receivers, it's especially important. And I don't know who I messed up on with this. Like, I can't give you, I'm sure there's like, I can probably give you a dozen players that probably was the reason why. I can only remember the player that I figured it out that like, oh, that's why this is important. And it worked out. And that was Marvin Jones. Because Marvin Jones was a player that I kept seeing in the media people talking about how he's a, you know, he's basically a possession receiver. That's all he is. He's basically, he can't get deep. He's not a, he's not a deep threat. And I'd see this like just in the more on the media side and I'm watching him at the senior bowl. And this was a really good class of cornerbacks. I remember, and just the press drills that he was, he was dominating. Like he whipped everybody that like every day he was getting deep on somebody and I and I made a beeline for him, and he was like, "Well," and I and I remember 
thinking that might happen because the only tape I had seen of him was as a sophomore. And a, and as a, and it was before Keenan Allen came in at Cal, so he was the main guy. And he was making incredible plays and getting separation consistently. And then like people were like, he's a possession player. He, he's not that fast. He's not quick enough. You, you know, and that was like, that helped me. I think he was the guy that helped me center in like the mistakes with guys like Vincent Brown. Like where like Vincent, you know, where I was like, okay, I need to have thresholds of like 40 times, of 20 shuttle times, of three cone drill times. And I need to fit that to also the style of the player. Um, and like, I didn't figure all that out with Marvin Jones. It didn't all crystallize together, but that was the starting point to go, oh, okay. So certain positions, you can't look at a slot receiver and look at his 40 time and compare that to Julio Jones' 40 time. Exactly. You, you it's know, almost useless. Yes. So it's like you had to kind of understand that like that you were evaluating three different positions and then players who could cross train yeah, at those different exactly. positions. And then once that happened, you're like, oh, I get it now. Like this guy could have more value because he that's why, like, if I am gonna bring up Dante Pettis, I look at Marvin Jones as an example. It's like Here's a guy who could play at different roles. That's why Kyle Shanahan drafted him in the second round and yep. you know, and looked at him and valued him in that way because it wasn't so much the he had enough of the physical skills that you're looking for to play wide receiver in the NFL if they're applied well and 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 they're developed well. So a guy like Jones was a good example of that. And I think that Jones was the reason why I ended up doing well with Keenan Allen because of, of Jones, but it was guys like Vincent Brown and like continuing to look at Vincent Browns and Jeremy Gallons and different players like that, that screwing up on those guys so often helped me figure out that like, oh, I'm looking at three different positions and I'm trying to grade them all as one. No doubt. And, and the thing you make a great point of there or your, your uh, topic you bring up, you talk about how he was beating the press at the senior bowl. And you, like I, were both believers in that there is a value in using analytics. There's a way to use it to become more efficient in almost every area. One of the biggest things they're finding in analytics is college receivers who are productive against press, knowing how to get off the ball, that is the strongest correlation for success as an NFL receiver of all the things you can chart for in college. So when you see a kid like a Jones or a kid like a Keenan Allen, who knows how to not just win with quickness? Because some guys can win with quickness, some guys with power, some guys with hand use. But when you find a guy who can do all three, that to me, that's like the, 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 the whatever you want to call it, the, the golden ticket for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I mean, when you see a Keenan Allen who can bull off the line because he's strong, but has that agility to, and he's gone, or he can just chop and rip through and get off the ball. When you see a guy who can do all three releases, does them well in college, yeah. That gives me like, oh, man, because Keenan can't run. I mean, even though no. I like to talk about how good he is and he doesn't run a 4-7-3, he still is probably in the 4-6s. He's yeah. not blowing anybody's doors up. But I'll tell you one thing, he gets behind the DBs so consistently because anytime they step up, it's almost like child's play with his ability to beat that press and get right behind them. So, yeah. And the other thing that I never knew, and you've probably seen this too, that a receiver coach had to teach me is it's not only about how you beat the press, but the great ones beat the press and then use an elbow and arm on the DB to get that initial separation 
so that the DB falls further behind. It's yeah. not just about getting off, but can you then create a yard and a half of separation? Because once you do that, you're open. Yeah. A good quarterback in the NFL, a yard and a half is like a mile. Yeah. And if you get a yard and a half on a go, it's over if you have a good quarterback. Yeah. Jordy Nelson taught me that. Like seeing yep. Jordy Nelson play, I I, I use the I, I use I use all these terms. Like Dan Hatman always laughs because like I've and Dan, if you're ever listening to this, you'll be laughing because I was told by one of your associates that like one of the when he was at the scouting, he does his scouting academy, which is a you know a fantastic yep. resource for people who are aspiring to do this, and. And one of his students said that he used a term that I, I write about. And Ken, I'm a lay person, like, you know, coming up with terms. So, like, I said it was like framing separation. Instead of pushing off or doing anything, it was like he's establishing his position and maintaining it and preventing the defender from, like, impeding on it. And it, so it looks like a push off to the, to, to the casual viewer, but it's not. So I use that term. So I always laugh because Dan Hatman's probably like, what the hell is that term? Like, nobody, you, you know, that yep. kind of thing. But um, Nelson was a good example of that. But when you talk about releases, it's such a great thing because, I mean, like, I've just updated my checklist for wide receivers and it's like literally, you know, I'm, I mean, it's overkill. I probably have 230 cells right now of like material that I'm looking at when I look at a wide receiver. I mean, it's that much overkill, but it's like, because releases, let's see, I have, I have seven things I look for in stance right now. I have, um, Oh, uh, let's see. How many right now? Let's see. Seven things I look for and just concepts for releasing from the line of scrimmage. Hand usage. I'm looking at 11 different possible things they could use with hand usage right now. I'm looking at um, 11 different things I use with feet in terms of footwork. So, and that's not even all of them. And then, and then there's like the stem and the setup with the stem and, you know, and the, you know, but those are things I'm just looking at at the line of scrimmage to make sure that there one aren't any like technical low hanging fruit. Like, do they cross their arms when they're sitting in the stand? So they get jammed easily. Do they, are they have the weight, right weight distribution on their foot? You know, are they rolling off and getting low to lower so that they can really, you know, sell that. And then all the different things like swats, rips, swims, sheds, rips, throw buys, all the, you know, so I can see how much of a working vocabulary they have. And it, and it's not that I'm asking them to be able to do all of that. You know, right. that's the other thing you learn. But do like, they have any of them in the repertoire? Yeah. Or at least show you occasionally that they can do it. And then you find out from talking to coaches that he will learn. He will work. That gives you hope that a kid can develop yes. those skills. Now, I will say, you mentioned the footwork. The one thing that drives me batty, and it's so hard to change, is that god dang false step when yeah. it hit that back foot up. <laughs> oh, I want to reach through the screen and strangle it. I'm like, why are you picking up your back foot when they snap the ball? Is that just so the DB can punch you in the face before yeah. you move? Yeah. It's like, oh, I want to kill these guys. When they do that, I'm like, all right, should you just give up? I yeah. mean, it's like. It's, <laughs> I laugh. I, That's so funny to me because like this year after I put this all together, I start watching wide receivers. And I'm like, damn, if I don't see that, like every time oh. now, like out of like eight out of 10 receivers I watch and I'm just like. I, I, no one's going to score this well. Like, I'm no. not like, I'm just like, do I even need to, have, I, you know, part of me started thinking, you know, the first thing you think is like, 
am I watching this right? Like, am I, did I, did, am I really studying this right? Because maybe I'm being too hard on this guy. No, I'm not being too hard on them. They're, they're doing it. That's why they're college players and they're not NFL players. Yep. Go back and watch. So then I go watch NFL tape and I'm like, yep, yeah, no, I'm not watching that wrong. That's exactly what no. they're doing. You, you know, but it's like, yeah, you look at those things and you, and you look and you go, can they do for me? Like I grade it by going, can they do one of these things consistently? Can they do two of these things consistently? Can yep. they do three? If they can do three of these things, consistently and they can pair it with like handwork and footwork so if you've got like you know a guy who can you know and i'm still evolving with this because i i don't want to like make it hard and fast and go well if they could do three of this and two of this they're in this tier versus guys <laughs> who are in three of this tier and one of this you know but i want to give well, it's at still least an art right it's still yeah it's, exactly it's still an art to this it's not just check the boxes exactly you know so it's like i like the analytical end of like trying to do all that because it helps me learn but yeah the craft is if if you have like two really awesome moves and you're a fantastic athlete and you're strong or you're exceedingly quick or you're a spooked deer like Keenan Allen with his quick initial quickness, how many moves do you really need? You know, it depends yep. on the player. So, yeah, that's fan. That, that. <laughs> By the way, I still to this day, and I, I want to say it may have been Terry Rubisky, but I don't remember the receiver coach. I remember we had a receiver who came out of Kansas State, and I can't remember his name, who would constantly pick the whole foot up and then put it down. And watching him work with him after practice, and he literally got rid of it mm. within a training camp. And it was, I will say, one of the most brutal screaming because literally he made him line up with the practice squad um, quarterback in training camp, and he would just make him get off the ball. But if he even the foot even moved, he would just scream at the highest level, basically you fucked up, into his ear, and he wouldn't let him off the ball, and he would do this for an hour after practice every day. Wow. But within four to five weeks, that kid didn't even, that foot didn't move, he just drove off it, because he had yeah. been, it had been hammered into him so much, and it changed his way of playing, because that second, or blip of a second, changes who you are. Yeah. So, and, I, and I'm going to dive into another subject that to me, I get asked about all the time. I'm not sure if you do, but whenever I teach my class about scouting, I have people bring up receivers they watch in college and they go, well, he doesn't catch it consistently, but I'm sure the NFL coaches will improve that. Oh God. And I bring yeah. up and I say, Hey guys, I've been doing this 20 years. And I said, there's two receivers. One, I can never remember the name and Julio Jones is the other of receivers who drop the ball a lot in college who became elite shorthanded guys in the NFL. I said, most receivers don't change their ability to catch the ball. Some of it's technique, some of it's confidence, whatever it may be. But it is very rare for me to see a kid change his ability to be a consistent pass catcher. So I really try to keep track of why it is, what the drops are coming from. And it's funny because I'm sure you hear it also is, well, he's a body catcher, but he catches the ball every time. I'm like, yes, that's fine in college. In the NFL, the DBs are on you so fast that if you body catch, they will cause drops by contact, whether it's hitting you as the ball arrives or chopping at your arms when you're trying to cradle it before you get it caught. That body catching, that's why it's a risk. It's not that they're not going to be able to body catch it because the quarterback's throwing harder. That's not the issue when you get to the NFL. It's that every pass is contested. Every DB in the NFL is an NFL DB. They're not the corner from LSU that's not good. 
Yeah. There, there's one elite one at most schools and there's two or three that are poor. You can body catch against the poor ones. Yeah. So the hands thing has always been something I thought was underrated when people looked at receivers is very few become good when they're not consistent catching the ball in college. I can name three players since I've been watching who have been long-term players or at least made it past the short term and have become long-term guys. The worst of the bunch was early Doucette, could not catch. He yep. trapped the ball a ton. Occasionally, when he was forced to reach above his ha- head, he could catch the ball with his hands and take a hit. But he was tough, and he somehow was able to do it. Ted Ginn is the other one. He he body catches everything, and, everything. Can, and it's because he's so damn fast and so electric in the open field and he can make, and they're just leaning on that one play, you know. That, you're, you're willing to deal with some drops because of what he can yeah. do. And the best of the bunch, and it's because he can make those catches when he absolutely was forced to by the throw, Golden Tate. Yep, that's a fair one. You yep. know, the Golden Tate. But otherwise, I'm, I mean, and I'm totally with you because, like, I will watch players like that, and I think, um, Smith, the kid oh, from Maryland. Um, Torrey Smith. Oh, yeah. I Torrey thought he Smith. was a bit of a body catcher at times. Yep. Um, and at that point, I remember like back then and probably even before, just like hands work was important in terms of like understanding, you know, the position. But it is. It's like, is it a, is it, you know, guys like T.O., Brandon Marshall, A.J. Brown is a good example right now. They're guys that have concentration drops. They're focus drops. Yes. Like yeah. their their technique is good. And when it isn't good, it's because they it's the iffy area. Like the iffy area to me is from like the chest to the midline. And, yep. and it's usually that they're it's an outbreaking route or they're breaking across the field and they should be extending out, but they they do the underhand. Or they like you see them equivocate as they're yes. bringing their hands up. Like the hands come up right and then they like second guess and do the underhand thing and the ball goes up above their hands and bounces off their chest. Things like that that you'll see with guys. And you realize that, you know, anybody who, the guy who taught me that, and I, I didn't get him wrong, but the guy who taught me that was Robert Meacham. Because Robert I Meacham, him, yeah. he looked like he was doing a math problem every time he was trying to catch a football. And like you could, and it's to your point because when you say that they rarely correct it at Tennessee, his senior year, he was trying hard to use the correct technique. I watched him in a game. I remember, I think it was the LSU game because Dwayne Bow was on the opposite side of that, and I liked Dwayne Bow. And it was yeah. like, and he, and um, Meacham had several drops in the first half because he was trying to extend his hands and use the right technique, and he couldn't do it. And so by the second half, he just started body catching everything. And he was fine. But I was like, oh, that's not yeah. good. That's not good because this guy, he's trying and he can't and he can't get through it. And I don't know if he's going to be able to to fix that because it might be too ingrained. Well, and I'll, and I'll tell you two things. One is one thing I was taught early on is anytime you see a receiver jump to catch a pass, he doesn't yes. have to, but he jumps to body catch it. Yes. That is a red flag. Not so much that he doesn't have hands. It's that he has no confidence yes. in his hands. And if the guy has no confidence, the odds of him ever becoming confident catching the ball are slim and none. And, I, and I'll give you another example. You may or may not remember, and I say you may or may not remember, and of course now I'm trying to remember the kid's name. 
There was a receiver who came out of NC State about eight or seven or eight years ago, went in the third round to the Buffalo Bills, one of the fastest kids I've ever graded. We had him up in Montreal. Great kid, couldn't catch the ball. And the reason was, instead of reaching out and putting his fingers together and doing it the right way, he was the guy who would try to clap. Yes. Right when the ball I, came. Oh, I hate that. And yeah. those guys, it's like, yeah, I get in high school and even in college, you're so gifted, you can get away with it. But if you are a guy who tries to bring the hands together and make the catch, you may as well not even try. Because at the NFL level, with the ball coming so hard and with guys hitting you as the ball arrives, you can't time that up consistently to be a consistent pass catcher. It just doesn't happen. And it's really a shame. This kid, and for the life of me, I can't remember his name, he was the fastest player I ever saw in the CFL. We had him with us, with the Alouettes. And there were at least three times. I know who you're got, talking about, but I can't oh, remember his name oh, either. I can't remember his name. It's killing me. And he got, I'm going to look him up as we're doing this, just so I can put his name out there. But well, there were I'll at get, least three. Go ahead about the CFL. Yeah, No, there were at least three times he got behind the whole defense. He was at least five or six yards behind the whole defense. And waiting for the ball, waiting. And it hit him perfectly in stride. And the ball literally just popped out of his hands. Wow. And it yeah. was, it was, oh, it was brutal. He was so gifted. That's and he, it just, it was heartbreaking. I'll tell you a guy who actually is the exception to that rule. But if you asked me to grade him over again, I'd still put him lower than where he is. And that's Cortland Sutton. Cortland oh, Sutton, yeah. he is a pass clapper. Like he is, he claps on, it's always the right hand that he gets the ball on and the second hand like smashes into the ball. And I just thought, I I can't grade this guy. I can't put this guy inside like my top five of receivers or even I like, I am like 20th because like, but he dropped so many passes doing that i just thought how's he gonna handle contested situations because that's what they're gonna ask him to do and i just so i missed him but he's one of those that i feel kind of unrepentant on because it's like if you ask me to look at 10 players who do what he did i would i would bet money that nine of those 10 players would not be in the league or not be starting don't make it yeah and and to give you the name you'll know him because he's not from georgia but he's from down there T.J. Graham at NC State. That's it. That's that's exactly. I remember him. That's exactly who. Yeah. Because he literally ran by people. He yeah. was so fast, and he caught the, when he caught it, he would catch it, and it was off to the races because he was so explosive. His routes were great. He just and he, and and the other thing I'll add to this, and this is unfortunate for T.J. It didn't help. I was taught early on that receivers who struggled to catch the ball in college, the college coach has complete control over most players' lives. He literally dictates everything in their life. If he can't get them to catch 100 or 200 balls a day after practice on the jugs, how do you think you're going to do it when he's got a half a million dollars in the bank? It isn't going to happen. That's why TJ felt terrible for because he would catch two, three, 400 balls a day. He tried everything. I hate that. And he just always was clapped in on the jugs. He would do his hands the right way. But as soon as the game started, it was the 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 one guy who fixed his hands recently and unfortunately got a neck injury and he's just not playing anymore. Quincy Anunwa. Great example. Quincy Anunwa, 
he I've literally seen him go up to catch a ball and do this. Like, I mean, I, he was doing yep. like interpretive dance moves to go up and win footballs. And I'm thinking if that kid could straighten that out, he could be a monster of a player. And he sat and he talked about being on the Jets after year one and going, I spent every day before and after practice on a jugs machine working my hands out. And he looked pretty darn good. And then he got hurt. Yep, mm-hmm. I remember, and you may remember the kid, Josh Bellamy. He played yes. in the NFL, a rare athlete, and always dropped the ball. And he would he would work at it, but he just never, ever became consistent enough catching the ball. And, and I don't want to harp on this too much, but it's just, it's so rare to see a guy change in that area. There are occasions. We've named a few. Yeah. But, okay, if we've named 10 guys, and I think that would be even be stretching it, maybe we've named six There's... out of – there's 50 a year that get a shot. <laughs> right. So you're talking in 10 years, we're talking 500 guys. Yeah. That's how low the odds are. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. The guy who taught me about the guy who taught me about not leaving your feet to catch the football when you don't have to was, and I'll give that credit to just from being a fan was reading ESPN, the magazine and reading um, Sterling sharp grade wide receivers and talk about Derek Mays, the, the, the oh, Notre yeah. Dame product and how he left his feet too much to catch the football and explained why that was an issue. And, and I think that, you know, then tracking the other part of tracking that was important was tracking the ball over your head, just oh. being able to run and track the ball over your head. A guy who I I won't say I'm, I wish I could say I missed, but I'd say I would have even been lower on him if I had like really thought about this was Sammy Coates, the Auburn receiver that Pittsburgh picked up because yep. a scout told me during the senior bowl who we were both there and he, he just was like texting me and he was there at some different, at some different things. And he said, he said, I wish some of these scouts and coaches would just do a simple drill where they had the receiver with his back to the ball and they just throw the ball over his head because in about two minutes you'd figure out that Sammy Coates is not the guy he's that people are touting him to be, and that was it. And I just I remember going, "Wow, I need to go back and look at that tape." And and if it if he wasn't correct, looking back at that tape and going, "Wow, every time he's catching the ball, he's facing the football. Every time he's going up to win the ball, he's turning and rebounding. So he can do that, but ask him to run away with his back to it, and he's in trouble." And his hands and weren't all that good short area, I don't mind a guy who can not do it. If yeah. I'm just asking him to run underneath. But if I want a guy who's going to push the field, if you can't make the over-the-shoulder catch, I may as well just cross you off the list because at some point teams figure that out and yeah. you're useless. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who are, some, who are some recent players? Like, here's a player that I can think of that I just, I just missed on completely. Laquan Treadwell. Like... I, I I thought Laquan Treadwell was gonna be fantastic. I loved his physicality. I loved his ability to get off the line of scrimmage. I thought that he had different moves, but it turns out he wasn't quite quick enough. And it seems like he dropped a lot of passes because he was thinking so much about coverage, about understanding and processing the game. And he was another player who I think I would look at as a guy who just doesn't 
process the game fast enough so he overthinks and that great ability that he has get it gets in the way of that and he overthinks things am i am i off base about that no i think you're right about him i think i i liked him too and i remember going to the vikings training camp and watching him in practice and i kept thinking what's wrong with this picture because he looked great in practice but then in games, it just never translated. He was I, – I, that was one I missed on. I'll give you two other guys. Now, one of them is actually – I think he's earning $15 million a year and still in the league, so I can't say he's a complete bust. But I thought Sammy Watkins was going to be dynamic. Oh, me too. Game-changing. Oh, yeah. Everything. And he's really become, to me, a one-trick pony, which is I can run. Get me the ball. When no one's around me, I'll get it and I'll run. But he's not a great route runner. He's a little bit sort of mechanical in his movements. But I thought when I saw him run after the catch at Clemson, I thought, Oh my, this kid is going to be something special. And Oh my, was I wrong? I'm the same way. And what's interesting is that in hindsight last year, after he had that big game against um, Jalen Ramsey, he had a huge opener against Jalen Ramsey, Drew Lieberman, uh, the former Rutgers assistant wide receiver coach who has a great sight sideline hustle. He interviewed Watkins, and they went over that game. And Watkins told him, last year was the first year I actually studied running routes and really <laughs> understanding like the nuance of the game and learning technique. And, and it was also the first year he started really paying attention to his body, and the, the Chiefs training staff really worked with him on – breaking down and rebuilding his body so that he didn't have the same injury issues that he kept cropping up with him. And cause when you watch him, like he go up and win the ball is fantastic. He like great te- catch technique, great body awareness. Physically, he was an absolute stud, um, you know, and there were things that you look at and go intuitively did really well, but it was intuitive. It like, he was operating off of intuitive play. Yep. That was like raw talent. And when you look at that, that's a guy that you just look at and go, wow, he's this many years in the league, three teams later. And he yep. last year was the first year he like said, I, yeah, I really started learning about routes and releases and like really figuring out how to do all of that. Yeah. That, that one, that's a, fr- that's frustrating to hear, but another guy, cause you mentioned the other kid, you mentioned Hakeem Nix yeah. earlier when he came out, I liked Nix, but I wondered about his, his, agility is burst to to get away i thought it was more of a sort of a, a third round maybe second round type guy i loved his teammate though brandon tate i oh, thought brandon yeah. tate was going to be a oh, superstar yeah. i thought he was dynamic explosive could get away from people everything and it turned out he was a returner and that's it <laughs> yeah 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 another guy that comes to mind that um Two guys I really, one guy I really loved, and I know you liked him too, and I still don't, I haven't gone back to look and understand who I, why I missed on him, but Leonte Carew. Oh, yeah. I was I like a Carew big yeah. Leonte Carew fan. I thought he could release. I thought he was physical. I remember even hearing him, someone talking about how um, Richard Sherman complimented him at the, at, at, the op- at the end of the opener for, his, for him playing. And it, wow. I still don't know what happened. That's a mystery that I'm still trying to figure out. But another guy that I would add is, and I don't know, I'll tell you the guy that I learned to avoid, but I don't remember the guys that I missed on specifically. And I know there were lots of them. Um, is 
the guys with the street ball moves in terms of like um, route running, like yep. move upon move upon move upon move. Like I had to learn that route running, there are places where you make a move and certain moves are, and that route running is a subtle craft yes. when it, until it's subtle until it needs to be dramatic. But there's like, it's kind of like a novel in a small period of space. Like it's not the sitcom with the laugh no, track exactly. where they're pounding yeah. it in your head. It is the novel where they establish a theme and then they like develop that theme or they have a plot and then a plot twist. Yep. But it's not like it's not that sitcom laugh track thing. And the well, play I always see those guys yeah. who throw forty seven moves. Yes. And they don't get open. And then you see the one guy who will just one time you see him dip his sho his shoulder his head just a, a skosh. Yeah. And the corner bites and boom, he's away. And it's like that's where route running is. That's what just being way out of control is. Yeah, it's like Hemingway versus like name your favorite ABC sitcom like yes. on Friday night, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's like the guy who was that way, Braxton Miller, is a, an example of a guy who like you watch him at the Senior Bowl and the dude like, and you could tell who was like studying the game because the people who were like enamored with him to a degree were like, he was just getting open left and right. And you're like, yeah, but he like, he's got, it's a two way go situation with a safety or a cornerback who has no side no of the field. Yeah. So he's like, he's at a disadvantage to those types of moves and the quarterback's not under pressure and he can wait forever to throw the ball. So yes, Braxton Miller's getting open left and right. Andy Isabella is getting open left and right. I, I've joked, I've called Andy Isabella dance fever because of the fact that he did all that stuff. And I liked a guy like Penny Hart, who's starting to elevate onto the from the practice squad into the active roster for the Seahawks as an example of two guys where one played was more Hemingway and the other guy was more, you know, Friday night, you know, sitcom. And it's like, yep. and maybe they'll, they'll, one will learn. But, but it's a great a, point though. Because yeah. the over route running, yeah. I think, can be just as bad as having no route running at all. Yeah. Because a lot of the guys that over route run, they can physically do it because they're showing you they can, but they don't know how to harness it and just maintain their route, make, keep their stem nice and simple, and then boom, hit it. Yeah. But they do four moves when they don't need to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So as you can see, we haven't really talked about anybody from the past two to three years. So if you were looking for that, I'm sorry, but that's kind of what we've explained is that we like to wait long enough be yeah, to understand, is it character? Is it work ethic? Is it, was it an injury that we didn't know about that we find out about later? Is it scheme fit and they're being misplaced in a scheme? Um, you know, is it something that they can overcome in terms of technique? that they can deliver on that, that they haven't, or they just haven't had the opportunity yet. And, you know, usually after about three years, you, you start to get to see that becomes more apparent. So if you were looking for some of those other guys, you know, that's come not really three years. come back in three years. I'm sure we'll have, we'll have a bigger list. I, you know, just to end it, I just have a question. I mean, like, who do you think your like biggest miss was like on a player either you loved or you didn't like, and they've been like fantastic. As a just receiver or any position. As a receiver. Ooh, you know it might be Tavon Austin. I okay. really thought he was going to be special, um, but again, it was I. I fell in love with the player, and just completely disregarded the fact he was a midget, 
yeah. who did not was not so rare in any area that he could differentiate himself at the next level. And that's recent. We're not talking 10 years ago. I've been doing this almost 20 years by the time he came around. Yeah, yeah. And, and now, at the same time, I loved him. I said when he was drafted it was a mistake just because the history of 5'8 receivers is basically zero. And to take one in the top 10 to me was insanity. But, yeah, I gave him a first-round grade, and he didn't work out so well. Yeah, I can – I would say from a guy who probably a guy that I loved and I thought would develop and he'd be a big guy who would develop further. And I still didn't put it all together recently was Doriel Green Beckham. I, I, I was higher on the athletic ability. I thought that he was going to be, um, but I will say most of his was, he's just a wackadoo. Yeah. Well then, then the bigger miss, then the bigger miss I'd say over that time, Demarius Thomas easily like I did not like Demarius Thomas I thought he was a one-trick pony who was not who at Georgia Tech who I just didn't I remember him well yeah I just didn't think he caught the ball exceedingly well with the techniques that he should have I didn't think he was much of a route runner I I thought that this is a guy that's going to be way too limited and he's way too high on himself as a, you know, that was the other thing to avoid. It's like I don't really care what these receivers say, good or bad, anymore. Like in the media, like yeah, for him to say, for it, to hear him say, I'm better than Demarius, better than Des White, um, Bryant, or Bryant. or anything like that. I don't really care. I don't care because I mean, Chad Johnson would call apparently would call up uh, Marvin Lewis and Hugh Jackson and at 2 a.m. in the morning go, I'm open and hang up on them. So, I mean, <laughs> listen, you know, I mean, you've got to have, you know, there's character you have and there's to be character. a little narcissistic you, a receiver. Yeah, you got to have a little, you got to be a character and have, and and also have some character. But like, we no won't, doubt. I'm not going to know that. So, Demarius Thomas was a guy that I learned right off the bat was like, I'm not editorializing on what I think about them off the field. And there are, th- and the baseline skills I have to understand more about route running of what they can and can't learn. Um, and he turned into a fantastic, fantastic yeah. player. It's funny. The year he came out, I had him tied with three other guys as the top guys in the draft. Three of the four became stars. And one, I wish I could remember his name, was such a bust that I can't even remember who it was. <laughs> I I know a guy that a lot of people – What what year was him? I want to see – Oh, I'll tell you another one that I that I busted on that just like Trey McBride. I looked at Trey oh, McBride. Yeah, the William and Mary yeah, I looked at him and I thought if you put him in Alabama and put another jersey on him and put Amari Cooper's jersey on him, you might not be able to tell the difference. Well, yeah. But I tell you one thing though, you weren't you weren't the only one because he got so many chances in the NFL and now in the CFL. People are still bringing him in. Wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, I yeah. mean, people believed in what they saw because I remember him. I thought he was going to make it too. I did too. So, so there you go. It's endless. We we, yes. we could go down a bottomless pit with this. We just need some drinks with this and we could probably, no doubt. We, we, we could make this a fun time, but this was a fantastic time as it was. And listen, you know, you, it, you look at it this way, you know, all the, the errors you make are lessons you learned. We've been learning a lot of lessons. So um, hopefully you can profit off of that. You can check out Matt Waldman's RSP. You can find that at mattwaldmanrsp.com and find out more and see 
you know, why people recommend it, what, you know, take a tour of it on video. You can also, you know, check out, you know, all the ideas, all the things that are in it, as well as, you know, the list of players that I've looked at thus far. I've got about 85 players evaluated. I'll have about 150 at those four positions that I study as the minimum. And I'm doing a lot more tracking this year of data and different information. So that's why it's going a little slower. Um, um, usually in the past few years, I've had about 100 players or 110 players watched by now. But in the past, I, I used to be at about this speed as well, just because um, I was writing down everything that I saw. Now I'm trying to track data and do a lot of different things and actually watch a lot more um, in certain ways that I think you're going to find interesting when you look at the new reports that are up there. So, and of course you can find Russ Landy, you know, at Russ Landy, you can find, he's got a great podcast that he's, that he's doing with an, you know, Scott Bischoff. You've got one with um, NFL draft Bible, our buddy Rick, Rick Claritella, Rick, yeah. And, yeah. and condolences to Rick and, and, yep. and his, and his dad who recently passed away. So if you're listening, Rick, you know, we send you the best for that. You know, so, all right, guys, thanks again for listening and you guys have a good night. Uh, Anquan Bolden. Yeah. So when I get there, they're telling me the story of before the combine, they held their meetings just to sort of set their board and get things straight. They had Bolden the third player in the whole draft. Wow. They go to the combine, runs a four, seven, three or four, seven, one. They go with all their pro days when they come back for their meetings. Now they haven't had meetings since. All they've had is the combine and pro days. He's down in the seventies on their board. Wow. They literally just moved him into the seventies because of his forty. Wow. And it was like, guys, it's like, don't kill guys just all forties. Yeah. It's like evaluate the player. But so let me ask you this. Yeah. Since I I actually hit the unpause button for that for you to oh, you mind me ca- capturing that and I can, yeah, I throw can it have, in. okay then there you go guys there's your last bit of lesson learned <laughs> Cleveland there Browns you there you go <laughs> exactly <laughs>